Welcome to Hyperallergic, the podcast. We're bringing playful, serious, and radical perspectives on art and culture in the world today. I'm Harag Vartanian, Editor-in-Chief and Co-Founder of Hyperallergic. You may already be sick of hearing about this year's U.S. presidential election and its super PACs with their million-dollar ad campaigns. But some in the art world are just getting started. A super PAC, or Political Action Committee, can't make contributions to candidates or parties, but it could spend as much as it wants during national campaigns. Democratic candidate Bernie Sanders famously is not a fan. I don't have a super PAC. I don't want a super PAC. And I don't need a super PAC. Bernie may not need one, but two artists think they do. Conceptual artist Hank Willis Thomas and photographer Eric Gottesman have created the For Freedom Super PAC. The title is inspired by U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's State of the Union speech in 1941, when he outlined his vision of four essential human freedoms. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. That is no vision of a distant millennium. It is a definite basis for a kind of world attainable in our own time and generation. That kind of world is the very antithesis of the so-called new order of tyranny which the dictators seek to create with the crash of a bomb. Those words inspired artists, including Norman Rockwell, who captured their spirit in four iconic paintings in 1943. Hank and Eric's super PAC is called For Freedom, as in F-O-R. The goal is to raise half a million dollars to produce artist-designed ads. So far, they've raised over 60,000. They've invited over a dozen artists to create work inspired by the issues of the day. All the pieces by artists like Carrie Mae Weems, Rashid Johnson, and Fred Tomaselli will also be in an exhibition opening at Jack Shaman Gallery in New York. Hank says their super PAC is not trying to simplify things. When the super PACs after the Citizens United uh, decision came down and that super PACs started to appear and you realize that you could raise unlimited money to say basically whatever you want about someone as long as it was for or against an election. I was like, this is, I realize that the law is, is, a, is a form of fine. It's reached fine Art, art levels of complexity to understand just the law and what, what is actually okay and what's fair. And I thought that we, as artists, starting a super PAC would really be able to at least hopefully complicate the conversation or draw attention to it. The responsibility, though, of that has become a burden that I didn't anticipate, meaning I thought we could just, like, get a bunch of money and then mess some stuff up. And then someone would sue us and say, that's not okay, but I think we're now taking this a lot more seriously. It does feel like there's probably some bias you're going to be battling because, I mean, I think people assume if artists are involved in politics, it's pretty lefty, you know, or something, you know, probably affiliated with Democrats or something. But I know that For Freedom has worked really hard to sort of position itself as not affiliated with a political party, not affiliated with a political cause. Have you thought about how you're um, positioning that? I've just always struggled with the idea of left and right, because I think if you asked most artists and polled most artists, they would actually wind up seeming more along the lines of libertarian. Yeah. And that's just depicted as right wing. Mm -hmm. 
However, many artists also recognize that social services can also benefit the rest of society. But I'm talking about values-wise. I just think that I, rather than think, thinking of this political spectrum as left and right, I think of it more circular, where the people, if, as we see what happens with like Bernie and Trump supporters who have a, an alignment in their fervor, Mm-hmm. And, there, and there's a populism that's, that, that seems to be motivating a lot of their interest. And there is this kind of counter-establishment, whatever that means. In a way, they seem somewhat closer together than, than the traditional Republicans and Democrats of at least this moment. I hate the term the black vote, as if if I'm black, even though my skin is brown, I have to be in alignment with all black stuff. And this idea of these single-issue voters, rather than recognizing that there may be a confluence of different things, could be about age demographic, it could be about class demographic, it could be about ethnicity, which is different from race, or religious values. And which one is going to be the most influential depends on literally that individual. Are you afraid that this might create more confusion in the process? Because in the art world, we like to make things more complicated, see a lot of grays. But in politics, as you say, it's often reducing really complicated issues and simplifying them. Eric, is this going to create confusion? Is this to like we create a more so. educated voter? I mean, I'm trying to understand what are some of the goals you personally would like to see? Well, we're trying to understand that too. And we, we hope it's confusing. We hope it jars people into having to reconsider how they're interpreting and observing the political messaging that's that's happening. The ambition of the project is kind of way too big for what we could possibly do. But the idea that we could model out alternative avenues to engage with these conversations and with political messaging. If you, you know, instead of, instead of a political ad causing someone to think, should I vote for this person or should I vote for the other person? What if the, the response of a viewer of a political ad was, what does this all mean? Are you concerned that your images will be misconstrued or manipulated? I'm more concerned that our work won't be confusing enough because we want to, we, we care so much about what's happening. I think we didn't, when we started this project, we didn't anticipate how hyperbolic the discourse would become and how dangerous and unpredictable um, one of the candidates would be. Our concern is if we t- seem too much to be taking a clear position and a, and a clear side on something, that people will be like, okay, that goes in that pile. And we don't want to be too easily put into a pile. And James Baldwin once said, which I've also been saying a lot lately, <laughs> um, that an artist's search for their integrity should be considered as a metaphor for the struggle of every person to be a human being. My question came partly from once I, I did a studio visit with an Israeli photographer who took an image of the withdrawal from Gaza. And he was really distraught afterwards that that image that he considered a very humanistic image was being used by the right-wing settler movement to promote their agenda. And he looked, so I'm just wondering like, what if all of a sudden an image you create or something shows up on one of those white supremacist websites? How would I feel if one of our images showed up on a white supremacist website? I would feel- I'd feel great. You'd feel great. I'd, I'd question it. Part of what you were just talking about is that the artist feels self-doubt a lot. I mean, Carrie Mae Weems, you know, the great Carrie Mae Weems, who just gave a graduation speech the other day, was talking about how she still feels self-doubt. 
And, you know, part of that is this self-reflection of the individual going into the voting booth or making something new in the world. I think self-doubt is an important part of that. I think that's okay for us to feel as this stuff goes out into the world. And we can't control it, obviously. Whenever you put an image out in the world, you don't know what's going to happen to it. You don't know if people are going to like it. You don't know if they're going to remember it or engage with it, hate it. And if it winds up on a white supremacist website, that means they must like it. If it's because it's like provocative and it's like catchy and they're like, oh, look at what these people are doing. They're just so, they're all stupid and buffoonish. I probably feel problematic. But if they're like, this is a really compelling image and we want to appropriate it. I don't know the personal agendas of a lot of people whose work I appropriate and I'm using it for my purposes. But at some point it has, this, it, by them appropriating that it all, it complicates their own position. What we're hoping more is that ads have a short shelf, shelf life. They have like a week, two week, maybe three week shelf life, a year if you're lucky. But art is expected to last for generations. And we're really thinking about the 22nd century, not just about the 21st century. Like how will the things that we're thinking about today be perceived to people who aren't born yet? As our super PAC is trying to do, because super PACs are basically they're political ad agencies. If we can take that same work that artists are making in their studios and take it, not just put it in art galleries as we're doing at Jack Shaman, because that is one model, but putting it on, in the subways, in billboards, in magazines and newspapers, maybe we can like shorten that 30-year time span of an idea that's, you know, a question that's being asked by an artist. So Eric, do you remember the first political image you saw that really made an impact on you? Images that come to mind when you say that are, you know, the images from the civil rights movement from the 60s. I think I had a sense of being born after that era of wanting to have been before, you know, part of that era and having such a clear political mandate. And my, my feelings on this have changed. But at the time, I wanted that. I wanted to be part of a, of a clear political movement for good and, you know, for, like, as young people do, I think that's, that's one of the things that I wanted. But as I kind of navigated the world and traveled with my own work to different parts of the world, saw the history of post-colonialism and how people have kind of grown up in the wake of it and see how complicated it is. I do a lot of work in East Africa. Some of the places that have encountered colonialism have the infrastructure that was built under the colonial rule and the places that, had, you know, were you know, like Ethiopia, where I do a lot of my work, was never colonized and therefore lacked a lot of that infrastructural injection. So is that, is, was colonial, is that a positive effect of colonialism? I mean, that is really complicated, you know? And how about you, Hank? Is there been any image in politics, maybe in the recent past, that has really resonated for you that you think of when you think about images being used in political campaigns? There's this image. I don't know who took this picture. It's of an African-American young man with his face painted white and the word vote kind of written in his dark skin. Is that the best way to describe it? Mm. Vote on his forehead. On his forehead. Right. And as a kid, you don't see many <laughs> images like this. And my mother is a photo historian. Her name is Deborah Willis. And I think she just had a picture of... This, a different photograph of this kid, and it just haunted me. Because I was just like, why would somebody wear white chalk on their face? And what, what does vote mean? Then, of course, you think about Shepard Ferry's Hope poster 
that really I, I realized that him and Will I Am with the yes we can, just very simple gestures of visual artists were able to really shift the discourse of a campaign. Do you want to talk a little bit about the artists you've chosen? I'm curious, was there a specific kind of uh, idea of the artists that you approached? And what do you think each artist has brought so far? Part of the way we were doing this is that we, we've looked around it to see what artists we like that are, that are sort of working at this intersection of politics and art writ large. And then we're also uh, sort of proposing these, this set of ideas that we're, we're talking about here about expanding the way in which we can talk about politics to artists and seeing what they come back with. Um, so for instance, the artist Dred Scott uh, is going to be in, in residence in the gallery for, for a few days uh, making political ads in the gallery space. So part of the, part of the setup of the show will be that the space has our headquarters in it. And there will also be the art of these artists throughout the space. Nari Ward is going to be making a new piece based on, based on a way in which he's been working with shoelaces. Uh, Michelle Preed is going to be including sculptures as well as she's going to be doing an action in the gallery as part of her, her body, her vote action, which is where she makes T-shirts, packages them, with letters and pictures and sends them to each of the U.S. senators about reproductive rights and abortion. Fred Tomaselli made a piece. Uh, One of his classic New York Times covers. Yes, exactly. And here um, it's sort of showing the genesis of where Donald Trump came from, which is this Mitt Romney, you know, a lot of the seeds of, of what we hear now were, you know, sort of coming from the anger that was created in the wake of Romney's loss and of Obama's ascent generally. And yet now Rom, even Romney is, uh, you know, kind of against Trump and, and part of the never Trump movement. So he's sort of riffing on that. Uh, well, we have Carrie Mae Weems who's sending a couple of her photographs from this series where she puts her body in, you know, important spaces. Uh, here she's by the Lincoln Memorial and the Jefferson Memorial in some of these photographs in Washington. Just the fact of her, the body of a black woman in that space, confronting Lincoln, confronting Jefferson, confronting that legacy. Um, these are really important gestures. Nothing here can, I think, be defined easily. Trevor Paglin, who feels very uh, ambivalent about American politics or political systems in general, has been doing a lot of work looking at the negative effect of U.S. policy, especially with the drone. So there's a picture of a, a, of a drone deep in very small and this postcard that he's written, vote for war on top of, and that's going to be supplied with a voter registration card. We're actually going to be passing these out and registering voters in the gallery space, but Trevor's interested in inserting these into public spaces where voter registration already happens. So we'll be both distributing these and just placing them out so that people are, are confronted with this idea that if they vote in this election, uh, in Trevor's estimation, they have no choice but to vote for war. And so uh, I think if you had to like kind of generalize about what all these works are doing, they're taking these things that we associate uh, very directly with a specific history or meaning in politics, whether it's voters, voter registration, monuments, campaign posters, campaign slogans, and it's complicating those things. It's trying to say these things can't be reduced 
to just one set of things. Ideally, we're going to be kind of galvanizing the entire artistic community to engage in political discourse, which we think will have a larger effect on how, how people can talk about politics. It'll have a trickle-down effect on how people broadly talk about politics. This project is going on as your truth booth. Uh, Hank is traveling around the country where people are sort of revealing what their idea of truth is. Um, do you see a connection between these projects? Yeah, I think the truth booth is part of what inspired Four Freedoms. One of the Four Freedoms that Roosevelt speaks about is freedom of speech. And the truth booth is a collaboration with a few other artists, Ryan Alexiev and Jim Ricks and Will Sylvester. And as we are preparing to take it to all 50 states, we are really hoping to gear up for an international tour. It's already been to Afghanistan, Ireland, and South Africa, and to a couple states in the United States, but we think it's so important to hear the voices of the public and hear it unfiltered. There's so much being said on behalf of the public at this time that we want to hear from them. And we can perhaps listen to a few clips. Truth is nobody knows anything and anybody who thinks they know anything are probably lying or they can't be trusted. The truth is when the money is gone, so are your friends. Very, very sad. Truth is I love animals. We see the truth booth as kind of like um, a wing of what we're doing with Four Freedoms, but it's not necessarily officially aligned because funding for a project like that, which gets a lot of funding from nonprofits, doesn't align with our funding strategies here. And we're, but we're also interested in that because the Truth Booth is going on a national tour at the same time that we're doing this national project. And so we're literally we're raising money simultaneously for these projects that we we're we're start we're a startup. Eric and I didn't really know what a super PAC was in in January when we started a super PAC because they don't make it really easy to define. Like there's 527s, there's 504, 501c4s, there's um, all of these different kinds of, there's PACs, there's, there's super PACs, there's all these different kinds of organizations. And we chose super PAC because it is the one that we knew would be getting the most attention, but it's actually not the best one for our agenda. And because for our agenda is to make an, a, a social impact. And I think that, a 501c4 might be a better strategy for that, and we could actually incorporate certain projects. But super PACs are so narrow, and what you're allowed to do, how, it's a problem. However, they actually don't really have rules. <laughs> so, like the rules that they come up with, no one's actually enforced them. So they're like, so it's 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 a really slippery situation, and I think that's like the truth. Will four freedoms continue after the 2016 election? Yeah, we hope so. We hope so. I mean, that's our vision for it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep going on, but we don't really know what it's going to be like for the next... Yeah, or, or the FEC or the IRS may shut us down. This is our sketchbook. This is, this is helpful for and, us. And, and like, so every time someone asks us a question, we're like, yeah. You know, and like I started to write something down that just came out of this interview and I was like, darn it, I lost it. That was artists Hank Willis Thomas and Eric Gottesman talking about their Four Freedom Super Pack. The exhibition opens June 7 at Jack Shaman Gallery in New York but look for their ads on billboards, buses, and screens near you.
Thanks for listening to Hyperallergic, the podcast. We're now on iTunes, so please subscribe and stay up to date on future episodes. I'm Hrog Vartanian, editor-in-chief and co-founder of Hyperallergic. Our executive producer and editor is Giselle Rigatau. Theme music is by Garen Geikian. And our publisher and co-founder is Vikan Geikian. Thanks for listening.